The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Coming up after 10.15, Maître Linda Hammerschmidt will join us. Uh, she will answer all of your questions related to divorce, uh, living together, separation, custody issues, anything to do with family law. She will be here uh, by phone tonight uh, to answer all of your questions. So get them in, think about it, uh, and get them in early enough so we can get to all of them. But first... Let's take a look at the inbox. Make a connection anytime at 514-800. Let me look at my inbox now and questions you have sent me about sex, love, and relationships, which you can send me anytime to Lori at drlori.com or feel free to text them in right here, right now, or throughout the show. I, whatever I don't answer at the beginning, I'll answer at the end. Uh, 514-800 to text in. Uh, Recently, I had unprotected sex. I didn't ejaculate inside the lady, but I'm still worried that I may have gotten her pregnant from maybe a pre-ejaculate may have gone inside her. I was just wondering how slim the chances are. Please help as I'm really worried. So when we talk about uh, pre-ejaculate, or another common term for it is pre-cum, it's a fluid that seeps out of the penis without you actually feeling it. Men don't don't feel it coming out. It's like lubrication, basically. Uh, now, the majority of pre-ejaculate does not generally contain live sperm. So, um, but there are cases... It happens rarely, but it does happen, uh, where there can be live sperm in the pre-ejaculate, which obviously if there's live sperm, it can make pregnancy uh, possible. The reason for this is that the you know, even though the pre-cum uh, doesn't contain in and of itself live sperm, there may be live sperm in the urethra. So as it's going through the urethra, it's picking up the live sperm. And those sperm could be left over from a previous ejaculation. So to prevent this, just as a general rule, you should urinate after an orgasm and again before your next uh, unprotected intercourse, If you just to wash away the sperm that's left over. Uh, and, but of course, the best way to avoid pregnancy is to use a method of birth control like condoms. So bottom line, yes, you can impregnate, but the chances are slim. I should be more worried about uh, catching a sexually transmitted infection as well. Um, at 26, I had a hysterectomy. Uh, took everything but the ovaries, and since then, I've been having some problems. My partner doesn't want to have vaginal sex with me because he says I'm too dry. I finally had to sit down with him and tell tell him that it had nothing to do with me not being attracted to him or wanting to be intimate, just that sometimes we need to use lubricant. When we started dating exclusively last year, we were intimate twice a day 
every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. He only stays over on the weekends. Now we're only having sex once a week, and it's not from lack of trying on my part. I'm now using a vaginal gel every other day for lubrication, and my sex drive is now in overdrive. And we, when we have sex, it's absolutely amazing. But it feels like it's a chore for him to be intimate that one day a week. I've tried to bring the topic up to see if there was anything else I can do. All he ever wants is, this in brackets, all he ever wants is oral on him and anal. Two things I'm not comfortable doing at this point in time, though I'm trying. But it turned into a giant fight. I guess my questions are, is it normal to have your sex drive go into overdrive after hysterectomy? I'm masturbating at least four times a day every day on top of wanting to have sex. And how can he and I have this conversation without it turning into a fight? I'm mindful of my tone and how I say things as I don't want him to think he's inadequate in any way. But he gets so defensive and accuses me of being selfish. Could it also just be his age? He's 37. He makes it seem like he's this hugely sexual person, but now it doesn't seem like he is at all. Could he just not be interested in sex with me because I'm not ready to do the things he likes? All right, let me, it's a long, uh, a long email, but there are a couple of issues here that I want to talk about. So if your ovaries are intact after a hysterectomy, it means that you're still producing hormones. So, um, like if you have a hysterectomy and they remove the hormones, that would automatically put you into menopause. So I'm not sure quite why you have a loss of, of lubrication. Maybe it's related to some other physical issue. It could even be psychological, uh, but it generally has nothing to do with attraction to your partner. So you're right about that. Uh, using a lubricant is a must, even though you're now using, um, like a, a gel, a vaginal gel, which are usually uh, hormonally based, you should also use an external, like every time you have sex, use uh, some kind of, uh, of lubricant. But to me, it seems like the issue is actually with him. You kind of need to figure out why he's avoiding intercourse with you now that everything is working fine. Does he have any worries? Um, I think you may only be able to get to the bottom of this with a, a therapist who would see you both as a couple. Uh, but let me just get uh, specific for you. After a hysterectomy, sometimes a sex drive can increase um, because of several things. It could be that you're no longer worried about pregnancy, so you feel more free. Um, or you got rid of the problems that, like those physical problems that led to the hy hysterectomy in the first place, like pain and all the other things. So generally, you feel better. So those could be explanations for why your sex drive um, is high. Obviously, I'm, I'm giving you a, a generality because I don't know your specific situation. But as for having the conversation with your partner, it's important to talk um, not when you're being intimate, but find a neutral time for this conversation. Express how you feel. Use I statements, so no accusations. If when you start a sentence with you, that puts the other person on the defensive. Even when you start a question with why, uh, puts another person on the defensive. So always use I statements. Let him know that sex is an important part of a relationship for you and you want to have the best relationship possible. But if you get nowhere, um, you should seek couples counseling. And I don't think it's related to 
uh, his age. If And if it's because he's not getting exactly what he wants and so he's withholding sex from you, I'm sorry, but that's really crappy and that's really selfish of him. Uh, so, and if this is the case, seeing a therapist will probably bring this out into the open and clarify all of this and bring up the resentments and point out, you know, the behaviors that aren't, uh, that aren't cool, They're not cool at all. Uh, coming up, a really cool lady, uh, Maitre Linda Hammerschmidt will join us to answer all of your, uh, legal questions having to do with divorce and, and family law. to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Tonight we discuss uh, divorce as we do on the last Thursday of every month. We have Maitre Linda Hammerschmidt who is here to answer all of your questions. She is a family law attorney and uh, is open and willing to answer your questions tonight. Hi, Linda. Good evening, Lori. Sad not to be able to see you face-to-face. Yes, I appreciate this. It's just I'm a little under the weather, so you'll bear with me. You work too hard. No, I'm doing something. <laughs> <laughs> I know you work too hard. Um, 514-800 to text in. If you have a question for Maitre Linda Hammersher, you can always call in at 514-790-0800. She will give you, give you the... The straight answer to all of your questions. Anything you want to share with us? Any, uh, any, you know, we always, we always start with if there's anything new in the legal department, any changes to family law, anything we should be concerned about? <laughs> you should be concerned about family law. <laughs> Period. Yes, because there's, there's no end in sight to the strange things people will do to each other once the love is gone. Yeah, but uh, I did have an interesting observation to make, and and I'm curious to know if anybody out there uh, can share an opinion, you know, whenever they want to, about marriage contracts. Okay. I was reading one today, actually, and, you know, obviously I look at these things from the vantage point of being an attorney. But I wonder what actually goes through the heads of the people that are uh, signing these things because for whatever reason they decided to get one. But do they actually understand what some of the clauses that have been Mm. put in mean? For example, and this is a simple one, I read in this particular marriage contract that the parties will share the expenses of the household in proportion to their means. And I wonder if anybody actually understands, no pun intended, what that means. Okay. (laughs) I think I know what that means. What do you think it means? Uh, To me, it means in proportion. So if I... If uh, I make a hundred thousand and my spouse makes fifty thousand, I would be uh, contributing fifty percent more to the household. Yes, in theory that would be correct. But then what happens is to the couple one who <clears throat> don't necessarily continue to share their all their financial information ah. as the years tick by, 
I, I ask myself. And two, um, if, if the person who signs that, let's say it's the wife, for example, who stays home and has some kids and whatever, is there an understanding that while I'm doing this and not earning money, I really don't have to contribute my proportional means? Yeah. Well, it's a question because <laughs> it's not necessarily clear. Right. True. It's not clear. It's not clear to me, so I don't imagine it's clear to lay people. Right. And is do people think that means means okay? As you said in your example, you're earning a hundred. The spouse is earning fifty. What happens if you're not working but you have a million dollars in assets? Ah. Right. And you know, uh, let's assume that the million dollars in assets are in a, a stock portfolio or a. a uh, a mutual fund portfolio as opposed to you own a concrete building and you can't take the bricks to the bank. Right. So then how does that play? And does anybody actually get advice but, uh, of understanding any of this is my question to the audience uh, yeah. before they sign? Because I'd say probably at least 90% or more of contracts probably have that clause in it. Right. I can tell you one thing, Linda, from, from experience, like just from knowing these legal contracts, any, like these documents are so, that's right. They are not. And frankly, sometimes it's like, oh, just sign the bloody thing. Like it's too complicated. Like why can't it be written in a language we understand and, and simplify it? You're absolutely correct. And actually I've, I've started to try to, Um, legalize it down, shall we say, so that, you know, our our instinct as lawyers is that the parties will do this and that. Like, who talks like that? Exactly. So I've told my my staff at the office, stop putting the darn word that in front of everything because who (laughs) needs it? Let's just get to the (laughs) sentence. We don't need all that. Never mind all the all the paper you'll end up saving in it over yeah. a period of a year. Taking just taking out the word that. Just give me the damn it. bottom line. Like just yeah. give me the the highlights. Like this is. And, and then I find myself sometimes writing a word, uh, and then I say, "That's not the easiest word to understand." Let's <laughs> see if I can change it to something that you know the people who are actually going to be be bound by this thing are going to understand it might help them respect the conditions. Yeah. I am with you. Good for you. I'm so happy you're you're working on that. I wish every lawyer could do the same. Yeah, but I have to tell you it is a bit of of um uh, conflict for me because you know, we're ingrained that you have to, you know, you write a line and that line requires another explanation and then once you put that explanation in it sort of changed the first line. <laughs> So now you have to write a third line to explain why the second line is changing the first line. Uh, and it goes on and on. And yes. Like yes. Okay, let's get to some questions here. Um, here's one for you, Linda. What is the process if I want to go to Algeria to meet someone I met online or vice versa? Do we have to sponsor each other even if it is just a visit? One friend. why would you? Sponsor anybody if you're just going to visit somebody. Right, so you don't have to. Right. Understand why one would do that. Uh, <laughs> I, get, the, I get shot. 
Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. One friend told me that if I were to travel there with him, then I will need a travel visa since I was born here. I don't, I, I'm not sure if Algeria requires a visa, but you need to find out anywhere well, you travel anyway. Yeah, first of all, if your travel agent doesn't know that, then certainly you just have to phone up a government, the passport office, and ask them. It's not my area of expertise as to who, what country needs what visa. Right. But uh, you certainly don't have to sponsor anybody uh, from this right. side of the ocean if you're going to visit somebody over in Algeria. For Let example. me. I want to continue this because I think you're going to have a response to this one also. The one who started messaging me on Facebook said that I would have to send him a form from the consulate if I want him to come here. So he's going to need a visa to come here. Obviously, maybe that's what it means. Also, how do you know if someone is genuine or if they want to simply get married to get sponsored? See, there's a lot of scams out there, a lot of romance, romance scams through Facebook. It's this is I've heard of so many um, where uh, they seemingly fall in love with you and then they start asking for money, money to travel here, money to get a visa, money to – and then wanting to get married and sponsored. Like I think people need to know that when you sponsor someone, you're responsible for them for like 10 years. Oh, yeah, you're on the hook. And just because, and if you get divorced in the middle of that doesn't mean that you get to get off that hook. That's right. That's so my, right. My, my real answer to all of that question is stay in Canada and find somebody here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's it's a straight a enough answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think you have to be very, very cautious when it comes uh, when with these kinds of uh, of interactions and online you know, romances if, if somebody is serious then they want to come here to be with this person because they love them let them make all the effort get let them apply for uh, whatever license visa that they need let them come here as a student let them do whatever it is that they have to do and once they be on their own become a landed immigrant and then, then you can contemplate whether or not you want to get married. And by the time, believe me, that all happens, probably you won't even want to know the person anymore. Yeah, that's quite possible. So beware of people who but just... But so I'm not a romantic, right? No, you're not. You're, you are <laughs> so a, pragmatic, it's not even funny. Yeah, I'm a pragmatist. <laughs> you are. All right, here's another question for you. Hi, I would like to know if there's a way legally where my girlfriend can change the last names of her three kids to my last name. Their father was a deserter, and the kids call me daddy now, so might as well. My first question is, he said his girlfriend, right? Yeah. Yeah. My gut answer to that is, don't, because already they're calling you daddy. You'll be on the hook for child support when you break up. Okay. So why actually go to help the proof on the other side by trying to get your name added? And uh, I really, just because the guy's a deserter, I don't know how, what the depth of that desertion is. Does deserted mean he doesn't send money, whatever? He's, he's left the planet, uh, whatever it is. Right. Because nonetheless, uh, that person could have an input into whether the name gets changed. And you can't just change the name on your own. You know, you feel like it. No, you'd have to get it uh, authorized by the court. But whether the reason for it is sufficient for court 
to something else. Now, okay. on the Wait. other hand, Let, let's if, save that if for. You a, to, let's, if you wanted to adopt the children, that, that might. You know, that will lead to a name change on the birth certificate. All right. More with Maitre Linda Hammerschmidt coming up. We'll uh, answer the question, what if a spouse does not pay child support? What are the recourses? That's next. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Metro Linda Hammerschmidt is here to answer your questions, and one of them that comes up uh, rather frequently is, help, uh, my spouse is not paying child support. What are my, what's my recourse? Well, uh, the first and most cost-effective for most people is that since uh, child support is now payable once you have a judgment through the preceptor office here in the province of Quebec, mm. that uh, you should be able to call your the person in charge of your particular file and uh, complain that you're not getting the child support, and they're supposed to... to you know, track down assets and do whatever they have ah, to do to okay. collect the money. However, uh, oftentimes they don't move as quickly as lawyers used to be able to do in the past. Uh, when this first came in, there was, in fact, a um, <clears throat> belief on the part of some people who worked at the preceptor's office that lawyers couldn't take seizure proceedings anymore uh, to execute judgments. And uh, I was part of a group that w- took this to court and had that belief solidified in that uh, no lawyers can still execute. We just have to keep the preceptor's office informed of uh, you know if anything we collect any money or whatever. Okay. But uh, it helps also to know obviously where the assets are, uh, and uh, in order to be able to. Uh, collect money quickly and some people unfortunately go to great lengths to make sure that they're basically judgment proof so when you have somebody that's that obstinate and doesn't want to pay for their child or children it can be very onerous on the person that already needs the money to have to spend money to collect money exactly exactly um but uh the, the important thing to remember, however, is that you can't let that situation go on and on and on because as, if you let it go on too long, there's case law to say that, you know, obviously you didn't need it. Uh, mm. You can't go back that far to claim arrears because otherwise, unless you can prove that you were in some impossibility to act, for example, that the person had left the province or, or the country for that matter for a period of time and you didn't know how to reach them or uh, you were in a coma, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, or something that, that can prove that you did, had no uh, ability to be able to seize sooner than when or to take proceedings uh, sooner than you do. Some people okay. say, I want, I want you to take contempt proceedings uh, against, against my ex. Well, you can do that, but that doesn't get you any money because that's a quasi-criminal charge to be laid against somebody. Right. And it can result in a fine that's usually paid to, you know, 
some charity or whatever okay. and or a jail sentence, but it doesn't result in collecting money, money necessarily. Mm-hmm. However, some people, some, probably minimal, uh, when they get that kind of a proceeding will cough up what they owe or at least part of it. But that's not the goal of that particular procedure, and I never recommend it because it's just spending money for nothing. Unless okay. you have a flagrant abuser of, of, of uh, not paying child support and somebody that has assets. Okay. Uh, I have a follow-up to the guy who's uh, asking about the name change of uh, yep. his girlfriend's kids. He says, well, actually, we are getting married, so the issue of breaking up isn't even a question. Of course, that, <laughs> I know you're laughing right now, not a question. Uh, and when I mean a deserter, he's actually left the country because if he comes back to Canada, he's basically going to be uh, jailed for the way he abused the kids. So I don't know if that changes anything so that, for you. Those particular facts in, in a motion for a name change uh, particularly after they get married, uh, could very well succeed. There's never any guarantees, but it could right. well succeed. Why doesn't he just adopt them? He could do that too, but I'm saying even without the adopting part, a name change once they're married uh, would probably would probably succeed. Right. All right, I have another question. This is a sad situation here. I'm 64. I left an abusive marriage after 32 years with only my life 12 years ago and have had cancer twice since then. There is nothing to divide. I was married in Quebec. How do I get divorced? I don't know where he is in that province now. Can I just stay separated as I can't afford much and I'm just trying to survive on a retail job and I'm still afraid to have any contact with him? Okay. Well, if she doesn't know where he's residing now, but obviously 12 years ago she did, and if she doesn't have a lot of uh, financial uh, means, mm-hmm. assets and means to be able to fund that, perhaps she hopefully will be eligible for legal aid. She can take a divorce. They will have to serve the proceeding via the newspaper at okay. the address, the last known address that she has of him. Okay. So whenever that was 12 years ago. And uh, there's a certain delay you'll have to wait because you can't assume that the person's reading the paper the next day. And and uh, then she can get divorced, uh, you know, and on her own. She may or may not show up, you know. Okay, so it is possible then to get divorced even without finding the person. Yeah, and right. unless there's, you know, I don't know, some pension plan or something that would be, uh, you know, useful for her to get if she's still theoretically married. I don't see why one would waste time getting separated. This is obviously a marriage that should be dissolved. Right. All right, question here uh, for Maître Linda Hammerschmidt. Uh, 514-800, by the way, you still have some time left if you uh, have questions for her. Uh, Good evening. What is the recourse if my ex does not respect an article in the, and I quote, consentement à jugement aux mesures accessoires in the amount of $4,000 approximately? Okay, well... This is the consent that was the company, the the uh, divorce judgment, and if the person doesn't respect it, <clears throat> and uh, it's clear that what the 
$4,000 is. It's not that he should pay. It has to be a a number that's uh, quantifiable and and ascertainable. Okay. Um, She can have it seized, assuming she knows something about him, where he works, where he lives. There can be a seizure for $4,000 done. Okay. Okay. Uh, once my son is 18 and not in school, when can I stop paying child support by way of the court system? Well, if, if he's no longer in school, even if he's, he has to be doing something, unless uh, is he working or is he just watching television, either way, he's not going to school, so he's considered, um, uh, you know... An adult, from a point of view, in the Divorce Act, I, if, assuming they were married, uh, you don't. Eighteen is not a cutoff for people whose children were uh, as a result of a marriage. So uh, he needs to take uh, this person needs to take a proceeding in the court and serve it both on the <clears throat> the child who's now eighteen, the adult, and the other ex, and ask for a cancellation of the support. Okay. Now. If the, if the child just stopped because it's May and just stopped going to school because the school year has ended and plans to go back in September, it's going to be a very short lived by the time you get all that done and the kid will be back in, you, in school, you're going to end up having to pay the support again. But if he's permanently out of school or at least for the next year or two, uh, he should be able to get a cal- cancellation. All right. More but of your questions. Cut. But I just want to make sure you can't just stop paying. Just like that. You will right. open yourself up to be executed again for, okay. for the judgment until it's canceled or rectified. Wonderful. Um, Linda Hammerschmidt is here. She still is with us. So if you have any questions, send them quick. Send them quick. With Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. One of my favorite people on earth is here with me tonight, Maître Linda Hammerschmidt. Love her approach, her no-nonsense approach, and she answers your questions just like that. Uh, your legal questions, family law questions. Ready for another? Always. All right. Uh, is it possible to adopt my stepchildren? What are the circumstances? So this is similar to uh, the previous question we had. Well, not exactly, because that person seemed to be the access was to just get the name, you know. Oh, yeah, that's true. Right. Well, it's not an area that I normally touch either, except for the fact that there's a lot of uh, conditions uh, in the code to be followed. And, uh, again, it's going to involve getting the consent or at least notifying the other parent who, uh, you know, unless they're dead or something, but you have the uh, the biological other parent uh, basically either has to consent or be notified and, and do nothing after that uh, before. And then there's a um, placement period, normally speaking, depending on the length that the court uh, deems, usually three or six months, uh, for the children to, you know, it's like a temporary ruling that uh, the uh, posted pre-adoption, shall we say, and okay. then all of that still goes well, uh, then a final judgment is rendered for the adoption. Okay. 
All right, good. Uh, so here's another one. I married someone from Haiti, came to Canada in June 2016, and it says uh, in French, mon parrainage fini in 2019. So I guess the uh, sponsorship, sponsorship finishes in 2019. Uh, left me the summer of 2018. I want to divorce him. I will start the procedure in July 2019. I would like to know... Uh, his rights. We have a daughter who's 14 months. Since he left, I have no clue where he lives. And he comes to see his daughter when he wants. So he just pops in. Can I ask for full custody with visitation? Well, first of all, yes, absolutely. The mother can ask for full custody. And uh, if he just pops in, I would stop him from popping in until he forks over an address. Okay. Because uh, he has no business not uh, telling her where he's living since he's the father of the child. She should have a contact number also in case there's an emergency with the child. Right. And uh, just, uh, well, yeah, my email address doesn't cut it for me. So if you want rights, you should be able to share in obligations. I have no idea if he's paying any money. Uh, and as far as that is concerned, unfortunately, when you have a child with somebody, it's for life. <laughs> yes. Definitely for life. You can divorce so, the person, but they're in your life forever. And I don't know necessarily how long when she says he pops in. Pops in once every three months, pops in once a week, pops in every other day. So she can set boundaries to that to those visits. She can say, no, I want to have fixed a fixed schedule. Well, absolutely, and that's what would happen in any event, normally speaking, uh, in a court. However, they can sign a consent and... Uh, set down uh, what the rights of the access are, uh, but has to be contingent on him, as far as I'm concerned anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, parents do what they want sometimes, of uh, providing where he's actually residing and then paying some child support. Right. Okay, he last... Child, he ha- he helped ha- make the child so he can help pay for the child. Yeah, well, yes. Uh, last question. And this is a, maybe a little touchy, though. Uh, how can I handle shared custody with someone who has physically abused me? So somebody, you leave a partner because they're physically abusive to you, uh, and now you've got to deal with the children, like sharing custody of the children. Well, first of all, we don't know the age of the children in question. Uh, one can be, and I'm not making light of any of this, but one can be a horrible husband and still be somewhat of a good father. Okay. Uh, although what kind of uh, role Example. model are you showing if you can beat up the mother, your mother, you yeah. know, the mother of the children? Exactly. So uh, certainly if you were going to take proceedings, then I would uh, suggest that there has to be some sort of... Uh, whether it's anger management or or parenting course or something that the person has to pass to ensure that, you know, this person is okay with the children, even though he's a wife beater. So she can ask for that? Well, you can ask for anything in the courtroom if you follow up on the right, you know, judge. Right, right. You You get mostly what you want. If you don't, you don't. Right. That's why... You know, lawyers, although try to tell people that sometimes it may not be the best consent in the world, but it's better than perhaps the crapshoot that you're going to get in the courtroom because 
uh, you don't know what you're going to get there. It's like opening a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Right. Oh, uh, just a follow-up question to uh, the the Haiti person. Yep. Uh, no, not the Haiti person. This is another one. Uh, oh, the consentement one. Uh, says It says that the ex is responsible for 50% of an expense. There's no amount because the amount okay. was not known at the time. Okay, Today, so a, he refuses to pay. Yeah, that's a problem because then you have to uh, itemize what it is that was spent and calculate the 50%. So you have to take a proceeding to have the amount quantified. And you know what? We should talk about that the next time we come back in more detail. Okay. But those kind of clauses, I always, when somebody wants to split 50-50, 45-50, whatever it is, always say to a minimum of whatever dollars, so at least you have some dollars that are going to, you know, you okay. know, fight over. Because this right. way, you went through the trouble of getting uh, divorced and have a consent, and now you got to go back to court to get the consent, you know, interpreted. Right, and uh, and now saying that she doesn't have the money at this point, so that's well, it. Yeah, that's yeah. The problem. Yeah. Linda, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. We will uh, see you again at the end of June. Oh, my goodness. June the 27th, I believe. June 27th. See you then, and take care of yourself, okay? Rest up. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye now. Uh, all right. I'm going to get to one last question that came in for me uh, about sex and relationships. My girlfriend and I have been dating for nine months. We're both teenagers, and we are sexually active. Recently, my girlfriend has been rejecting me for sex when I ask. I ask her why she says no, and she will come up with an excuse or tell me that it's because sex is scary for her. I think she's scared of getting pregnant, but she's on the pill. Do you know what she could possibly be scared of? Are these legitimate fears? How can I make her feel more comfortable? Um, yeah, she's telling you she's scared. It's very normal uh, to be frightened at this age or to have some fears. It's a huge step for a lot of uh, of women, especially when you consider the potential consequences like uh, pregnancy. Maybe she was raised with uh, values of abstinence until marriage, and maybe she's feeling uh, conflicted. So you can only reassure her, um, research together how the birth control pill actually works, so get the information. You can use a condom at the same time. But you must not pressure her for sex. You tell her you care about her, and therefore you will be patient uh, And when she is ready. And that would be the compassionate, loving thing to do. That's it for us tonight, folks. Thank you so much for uh, listening and spending your precious time with me. Thank you to our technical producer, Brian Kalisar. Uh, you can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com. Coming up next on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. All the news you need right here. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion. So go spread it.